Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. I wanted to interview Alisa Volskaya, the founder of the public relations firm Avec, for a few reasons. First of all, because every time I would bump into her at a fashion show or event, our conversations about the state of the industry, future trends, and fashion in general always went well past surface chit-chat. Secondly, I was impressed by her drive. And third, it just takes a lot of guts to launch a PR company during a moment when that field is in the middle of such a paradigm shift. Not to mention doing it in 2020, the year the world stood still. Elisa started out her career working at Condé Nast International in Paris and was in charge of the fashion publishing house's digital projects and partnerships. In 2015, she became the executive director at Naked Heart France, a charity founded by the top model and philanthropist Natalia Vodianova. There, she was in charge of international fundraising and partnerships. And then just five years later, Alisa decided to go out on her own, and she launched her firm, Avec. Alisa's PR philosophy is right there in the name of her business, Avec. She sees the work that she does with brands like Chomet, Ralph Lauren, Chopard, and Balma as a real partnership, one where her role is to be there with the company every step of the way in their strategic journey, from conception to completion. But what exactly does that mean in the post-pandemic, social media-centric, metaverse world we now inhabit? Elisa, just like every other time I've spoken with her, had some insightful and sometimes surprising answers. Elisa, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I'm so excited for us to finally sit down and get to talk. Thank you so much, Jessica. I'm so happy to see you, even if it's on the screen. <laughs> I know. It's the new uh, new normal, as they say. So to jump right in, um, I've seen you at the shows. I know that you know all the right people and that you're sitting in all the right rows, let's say. Um, but we really connected more recently at the at the last shows when we were allowed to have shows. But um, I wanted to hear a little bit about your backstory because I know you've launched yourself into um, to PR, into that, that field, which is a conversation I want to have with you because it seems like it's really changing. But can you talk to me about your evolution? Because it seems to be, you know, just going gangbusters from what I can tell. Thank you so much for that question. I uh, I actually, I enjoy talking about my, my background because it's been a lot of uh, great time, great experience and great learning. So I prefer to start with the Parisian part because Paris is really uh, the city that has shaped me who I am professionally mm-hmm. and even personally. So I moved uh, for a job. I have moved in uh, 2013, a lot of time ago. And I moved uh, within as um, I've been transferred. Um, so I was a, a very young expat uh, when um, Conanast offered me a job at the international department in Paris. Mm-hmm. I worked in Moscow before that. And I had a fantastic boss, Karina, who has taught me a lot. 
and the company is absolutely fantastic. I'm very, very grateful for that experience. So I stayed there until I, I stayed there, I think, all, all together for about seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, learned everything I know, most of what I know about PR, about um, media, about ethics, work mm-hmm. ethics, system, organization of the business and so on. Um, and then I uh, started working with Natalia Vodinova in 2015 managing um, partnerships and fundraising and sport sponsorships at her Naked Hearts Foundation. Okay. And Natalia, um, until now, she's staying at the most fantastic, first of all, she's an inspiration. She's also a very dear friend. She's also a mentor and a big supporter of uh, my company now. So yeah, it's thanks to Natalia a lot that we have the opportunity to create and to um, create amazing things for the industry. That's, I know, I know Natalia, you know, you know, socially, I mean, we've seen each other at events and she's just always been so wonderful and gracious And then the times that I've seen her and her commitment to her, of course, to her charity work is, is impressive and uh, should be lauded. Uh, So you had this experience with the philanthropy and you had this work ethic and the kind of the PR stuff from your time at Condé Nast. What made you decide, you know, particularly, I think you launched during the pandemic or right before the pandemic. What made you think that this is the time to to, to launch a a new PR agency? Well, look, let's focus on the positive uh, side. It was before, it wasn't during. Okay. Okay. During was good. So first of all, um, I've always, since when I was 15 years old, I wanted to study PR because uh, for me, um, PR is, uh, um, today this term has become a little bit pop and overused and also underestimated. Everybody calls themselves PR. There's a lot of people who are not even in the profession, but they know people and they also call themselves PR. So this, the term is a little bit misunderstood these days. I feel that public relations is one of the most uh, important things uh, in the industry that also comes with a lot of responsibility. And it's also a certain power of um, giving visibility to certain products or services and not the other ones. Mm-hmm. So. For me, I always, I've always, I was always, which you can tell from years of working um, at Condé Nast, I've always been a very responsible person. I've always wanted to be part of something that makes a big impact. Mm-hmm. And uh, so since, since uh, my teenage, I wanted to launch a company and, and do public relations. Um, now, why I decided to open it is simply because I wanted to expand the zone where I can make an impact by promoting the right things and the values that I and my team believe in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I experience of working with Natalia and I'm still raising funds for Naked Heart Foundation has also taught me um, how much impact you can make through using luxury and its power and uh, attention that it has mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in the right direction. And for me, it's all about really responsibility and the impact. So that I guess explains my personality very much. Well, tell me a little bit about, because when you wanted to do PR when you were 15, compared to what the landscape in PR and you know promotion in general um, is today, I mean, it's a complete 180 as far as, as what your skill set sets needs to be, where you need to be really um, uh, focused on. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you've seen at the evolution and where do you think PR needs to be focused now and particularly in the luxury space? I'll give you a very simple example and a very funny story let alone 15 uh, year old me, just uh, 2014, I think it was, 
when um, cave, I was still at Condenast, obviously, and I was working on the digital project side internationally. And we had a visit. I think that was the year uh, when um, Facebook acquired Instagram. Mm. So Kevin Sistrom, the founder of Instagram, was vi visiting our offices at Condenast, and we had a small meeting. So he was going through all the offices. That was the year, maybe you remember, when he was visiting and meeting a lot of the fashion brands. Yeah. And the right people and he came to us as well so we were meeting him in a small team of people who are doing digital uh, related to digital projects and i said um kevin but what's your politics because i was a big uh, young pioneer of uh, monetizing content on instagram i'm very passionate about it and uh, and it was very early in the game nobody was doing it uh, there was no paid ads on instagram it was all completely different world and I said, what's your politics on, um, on, on the sponsored content? And he said, a sponsored content? And then he turns to his number two, and then they had a conversation about it afterwards that apparently there's a lot of people who are talking about a certain sponsored content. So that was, imagine how- uh, Wait, Are you telling me you gave Kevin the idea for sponsored content? <laughs> Or were you just validating something he was considering? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, it was just funny to see how, uh, what a perfect product that for that time they have created, which remains perfect and it evolves, and how um, how it wasn't used for the PR and promotion of, of, of brands at the time. It was very organic at the time. Mm -hmm. So, of course, everything has changed. Um, I, I like to think of it from in a bigger picture. In a bigger picture, nothing changes. From everything that I was reading about the, the balls of Truman Capote, if, uh, uh, that I was reading about, um, I don't know, all these stories, yeah. the, the Diana bag at Dior, you know, and uh, to more recent things and the collaborations, it's all about uh, really creating a dream. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say create, creating value, highlighting value of anything that you're offering to the audience. So the, the globally, nothing changes. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are different tools every time, social media. So now, and there's always a lot of everything. And then time puts uh, uh, boys apart from men, um, but gradually. And, and certain players leave the game and, and certain, like in social media, yeah. Um, so, so I think that tools uh, evolve and become different, but the globally, it's all about the same. It's about highlighting the value. Highlighting the value. And for each of the, when you're talking about highlighting the value for what you do, because you work with individuals and you work with brands, are you catering because, you know, different audiences are for different tools? Are you, you're catering your offering for each person? Are there particular, you know, must includes or new, new platforms or new areas to exploration that you're particularly excited about right now that you think that more brands should be looking at? Well, obviously, um, it's, uh, it's, it's nothing original to say that we're all looking into virtual world and uh, looking for new tools. I am extremely excited uh, about the real AR experience, and we are actually working on um, with platforms that are developing right now that are not even launched yet, but it's incredibly forward thinking, basically virtual worlds where you can have your, you as an adult, as a socially uh, important uh, person, you can just have your whole life virtually, and it will be equally important for you as your normal life. Mm -hmm. Because for one simple reason, it wasn't up until now, but now the industry is getting to finding the tools to make you feel how 
valuable you can be in the virtual world. Hmm. So it used to be, you know, you remember five years ago, okay, there is this or the filter, but then you move and the filter disappears. So it was all a bit of a, a mess, mm-hmm. uh, like a bit of a toy. Right now, I feel that there are serious uh, players coming on board. There are brands that are virtual concerts, but not just virtual screen kind of experience. Yeah. The whole immersive thing where you can explore, and, and this is pretty exciting. This no, I. It- I agree with you. I, I have the Oculus um, Quest and I'm completely, you know, fascinated by being in that virtual space and, and you know, having your avatar and, and buying and purchasing, you know, items for your avatar online as opposed to, you know, for yourself. And uh, take the Gucci sneakers, uh, the most recent example, and I have to say it's interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And why not? A lot of the people have been purchasing things uh, just to take a picture and then return it to the store. So it's not really something. That's a very good point. It's almost the same thing. It's like you 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 do a buy from net to you take all your photos, you keep the tags on and you send it back, right? How many influencers do we know that have done that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's the most normal thing. Um, what what do you think that the this last year in the pandemic I mean we we talked about you know virtual reality and AI what do you think has really changed as far as PR because of the pandemic have you seen shifts in relationship to that well the the pandemics first of all uh, regardless of everything I'll say after it's it has been very damaging for certain businesses and it's uh, it's it's quite devastating and it's a big problem I think for PR and for my industry, for our industry, it's uh, more accelerated things that were, we already saw coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, certain events that were not no longer maybe that important and meaningful for the industry, but they were still there. Um, they're not happening. Um, obviously, uh, this whole slowdown helped to kind of do more quality thing and ask uh, ourselves a question from the common sense that's for me in my work it's the most important I think it's even above experience common sense Mm -hmm. so if you ask yourself do we really need that many products here do we really need that many events there you will realize that in fact no it doesn't help business it doesn't help uh, the planet Mm -hmm. uh, and so on and so forth so uh, in many ways I think pandemics just accelerated what was already coming Mm-hmm. Where, where are your thoughts on, you know, because like we talked about earlier, that there are so many avenues that you can go down and, and you want to, of course, make something that's specific to a particular brand. What are your thoughts on, you know, using data to make an informed, quote unquote, informed decision about a choice that you're going to make as opposed to following your gut? How do you balance those two and how do you work with that in PR? Look, uh, to be very honest with you, we at AVEC were very data oriented and we work with platforms that analyze influencers' credibility of uh, their following, interests of their following, because numbers are very tricky. It depends on how you read them. It can be millions of followers that are absolutely not interested in the product that you want to promote. Be 300 followers, but five of them will be high jewelry clients, you know, so... Uh, numbers are really tricky to read. In the same time, um, you're right that I think it's a combination of both, but I would say data wins. Okay. I think data wins because if you really learn and it comes with experience, and by the way, Conan asked, like, which I already referenced, that has taught me a lot, uh, has always been very data oriented. And I think that if you really uh, read and learn to read the numbers well, you can very much predict everything and how the outcome of PR strategy will be. For us, that's what we offer to our clients and we offer 
um, obviously we report on media value and everything. I think it's extremely important. What do you think are the, um, the things that are falling away? You know, as, as PR, as a skill set evolves, what are the, yeah. what do you think the things that are, you're going to, you know, be falling away? Like, for example, with, with, uh, writing or, you know, fashion criticism, you know, fashion critiquing in the past would have an effect on what buyers would buy today. That's no longer very much the case. I'm curious to know in the PR space, what are the things that are not, not necessarily like the core business anymore that they once were or, or should be let go of maybe? Look, uh, I think the most, probably the most common answer, but also the fair answer is that the role of press, especially print press, has changed a lot. I think that definitely that sort of that um, impersonalized view on things is no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. Everything, and it started with social media, but also Andy Warhol was talking about it in the previous century. Mm -hmm. um, everything has become, now it's all about the person. You have your minute of glory, of attention, and uh, those three or three million people who trust me mm -hmm. or someone else, they will listen to me because they trust me and my values more than even an impersonalized brand that is giving you an opinion on this or that collection. Mm -hmm. So I think that everything is becoming, has become and is developing that way a lot more individualized. And that's the, that's the trend that I see even in PR business. Uh, a lot of brands want to work um, with smaller PR companies that have a specific access to specific places that have a public uh, profile that mm -hmm. are associated with certain people or values or brands. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's a big, it's a, it's a serious thing because PR business globally is uh, over 19, uh, 90 billion uh, dollars mm -hmm. worldwide. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very big business. And this shift, I think, is very important for the industry and the society in general. Yeah, I have to say I agree with you because we're seeing that the, I, I very, I had a struggle for many years to, you know, after training at the New York Times, that you never put yourself into the story. So the idea of becoming an influencer yourself or as editors become hybrid influencers, that was always a, you know, a hard thing for me to do because you never wanted to put yourself in. But if you don't now, then you don't connect with your audience. It's a complete 180. That's absolutely right. That's what I remember very well studying. Don't say I. Yep. refer to someone else who is an obvious reference or refer to a brand or, an, or an, a statement, but don't say I, I remember that. And now it's just the opposite. Completely, completely. Well, and which is interesting. It's a great way to, for us to pivot to your, your own brand. So you launched Avec. What, when and what was the motivation for you to do Avec as opposed to continuing? I mean, you said you always wanted to do your own PR agency, yeah. but what was that final click where you're like, all right, it's now or never, let's go. Yeah. It was exactly that, <laughs> that's the answer. Well, to tell you the truth, I was um, at that time, I was feeling after years in the industry, I was feeling there is a lot of things that I wanted to change. And I've always been feeling uh, capable of changing certain things, but when I was young and less experienced and less uh, regarded, I felt it was just extremely hard or, or impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and as I felt a little more experienced with more uh, sustainable relationship and more people in the industry that hear my voice and agree with me, I felt that it's the time. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to do differently, first of all, um, I think that the attitude is, should be different and that's what I'm trying to build within the team and that's how our brands that we work with. So it's what I call the management of the 80s, the devil wears Prada, it's all um, in the past. Yep. 
Um, I love, I enjoy building things together, which is where the, the, event, the, the company's name coming from. I enjoy working with our clients as a community rather than, you know, client supplier, because as soon as there is this uh, client supplier relationship, the supplier only cares about um, respecting the deadlines and mm -hmm. you know, creating an effect of working. So when you work as a community, you actually want to create something and, and you work for it as if it was your own thing. And, and we're very, very proud of what we're able to create. So I think those, those things that honestly, this uniting, joining forces rather than um, trying to build, break them into subordinational steps mm -hmm. uh, into this sort of old-fashioned fashion way of doing things. That's what I wanted to do differently. Mm -hmm. And because I really feel for at, at this stage of our development, and I think it will always be the same, uh, I, I don't want that to change, that's our values, we really pay close attention to who we work with and we really also select our clients as they select us. Mm -hmm. And we have criteria. We want to really promote things that we believe in, and we that we believe are good for the planet. So, so talk to me a little bit more about those criteria. Who are the? What are the brands that you're interested in? What what boxes do they have to check off? I mean, you mentioned you know good for the planet. So, does everybody have to be sustainable? I mean, or do they have to be intentional about their sustainability? Or is or is there? Imagine that's one of many things. But can you talk to me about what you're looking for? The, the honest answer is that, of course, not everyone can be sustainable as much as we all want. It's a big, big machine. You cannot just uh, shift in one day or even within a month. And it's also part of being response, socially responsible. I mean, you can't just then, you know, uh, cancel certain jobs because they're not part of your sustainability program and so on. So um, we don't expect that. But what is really important is the philanthropic, philanthropic aspect. So every... Uh, client of ours, literally everyone, uh, has an, an impressive uh, phil philanthropic, uh, makes it in an impressive philanthropic uh, impact on this planet uh, from Augustinus Bader that is uh, supporting a few charities uh, regularly and also financing um, medical research to Mark Scheinberg, uh, the, the, the investment company owner who's uh, also um, a big, big uh, philanthropist. So all of, all of, so that is number one. Mm -hmm. Really support, and that's also part of my values is giving back. Mm -hmm. For us, it's really important to. Um, that's what we do, and that's what we expect others to do. Mm -hmm. uh, another criteria, definitely, we are oriented into the future. We want to work with uh, fashion of the future, food of the future, and of course, sustainability is the future. Mm -hmm. So we obviously want clients who are on that path. How, as, how advanced they are is another question. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's say um, we're working, for instance, um, with the Four Seasons Costa Rica. And Costa Rica is one of the most eco-friendly countries in the world. And obviously, it's, it was a great experience because they've always, they are a, bit, a few years ahead of uh, the whole planet. So it's a, it's a great experience working with them and seeing how, how advanced and experienced they are in that. So that's number two. Um, and I think that this entrepreneurial mindset, which I've always had, because mm -hmm. um, I also I come from an, um, a family, a business family. And uh, I also, I love working. I think that founders or CEOs of all the businesses that we work with have this kind of entrepreneurial mindset, which is let's just do it. It's mm -hmm. a great let's just do it mm -hmm. and not like um, be bringing the critical you know which is also fine but a lot of people are more 
have more critical view, but we love this kind of dynamic thing. And that's what keeps everybody young and going, I think. No, I agree. I, I can't stand the whole, let's have a meeting to have a meeting, decide to have a meeting. That drives me nuts. So yeah, I love the whole, let's, let's throw it up there and see if it works kind of attitude. But one of the things you mentioned about like kind of you want to give back, I know that you also, um, which is something that I've been doing, you know, at the Institute of Managonia, I'm doing some teaching there and I understand you're working with Parsons. Is that part of your company giving back? Are you giving back? Thank you, yes, it's uh, it's um, it's great to know that you've been following that. And uh, absolutely, it's one of the examples. You know, I, I uh, uh, the, the true story is that I wanted to study at Parsons when I was 18, but I was living in Russia and that was uh, one of those uh, difficult years. There was this whole visa situation and everything that was so hard at, for me at the times that, um, that I didn't end up at Parsons, I ended up at, in Canada, but um, I've always wanted to. And I also know how hard it is to for, for young fashion uh, creatives, future professionals, how difficult it is to start their path in the industry, it's a very difficult industry, mm -hmm. So um, especially for a start. So for me, it was a way to give, to kind of give back, pass the knowledge and the experience that I've been through to the kids, Mm -hmm. and, uh, see certain results coming up and that's very exciting and it's been great it's been uh three years two or three years that i'm uh, with parsons now mm -hmm. yeah no i've uh, giving back for me has, has meant so much to me and um to be able to take that time and and teach the next generation has been, has been enjoyed, right it's so cool it's so wonderful yeah, yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Um, I, I want to ask you um, one more, uh, well, a couple more questions, and then I'm going to do my ask my five generic fashion questions at the end. But there, there are some um, ideas, some big brands that they have. I'm thinking of, you know, Dior that does the, uh, you know, when it pushes a brand, and then all of a sudden every influencer in the world has that, you know, bag that they want to push. Um, or, or we'll see that we'll see that also, you know, with Gucci or other things. Do you find that having everybody at the same time, you know, does that kind of work, or do you think niching down is more? Maybe it depends on the brief, but I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts about that kind of idea of promotion. I think that, of course, this is, uh, um, you have to be boring answering this question. It's a great one, but uh, of course it depends on the product and certain things. I mean, would you want a, a diamond necklace that everybody is wearing all over the world at a certain time? Probably not. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it depends largely on the product, although with the pandemics, and I'm, uh, I'm asking every brand uh, that I work with about that. And funnily enough, the decrease in sales is not so crazy as and uh, the luxury brands that produce party clothes only had the 15 to 20% decrease, although nobody had any social life. <laughs> so that's that's interesting though but um in terms of i think that yes there is a certain uh increasing frustration among the high spending clients who don't want to see the product everywhere but then it also kind of triggers another thing another uh way of thinking when you see that i'm speaking as a client when i see a new pair of i won't say which brand but um a, a certain brand shoes everywhere on every influencer I'm thinking, okay, I will probably not buy this pair because it's already everybody has it. So the time I get it, then it will be out. Mm -hmm. But I will look what else they have in that collection. So I'll feel part of it, but I will feel like I have something different. So mm -hmm. I think in any way, it brings back to the to the to selling. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know that a lot of influencers have uh, made a lot more revenues this year versus 2019. And a lot of the luxury brands started paying influencers for the first time in 2020. Those that were never paying before were only sending gifts because they realized how powerful, in fact, still that is, even if everyone was saying. And I mean, when we're going and if we circle back around to data with the influencers, you can really track the, you know, the direct correlation between when they're promoting and actual sales. Whereas, you know, advertising in a classic magazine, you don't know if somebody saw that famous pair of shoes in the magazine and then decided to buy it. Whereas you can see much more of a quick and direct correlation between the influencers then. Absolutely. But then again, to, coming back to your previous question as to uh, whether it's data or whether it's a gut feeling, I have to say, think of yourself as a client. Very often you see something on an influencer or, or just a profile that doesn't have millions of followers, but you see this product you're thinking, okay, interesting, beautiful. Then you see the same product on somebody very famous. Then you see this product on somebody not so famous, but interesting. Mm -hmm. And this synergy is what creates this desirability. It's not only, of course, the five top influencers that are completely maybe different and they're wearing the same bag that will want you to buy, but this feeling that, oh, someone I relate to in this way, in that way, and somebody just famous, that's, this is what can also trigger that, that desirability. Yeah, I think, it, isn't it something like at least seven, they have to see a product at least seven times for them actually, somebody to actually connect with it and want to purchase it. Absolutely that. Yeah, no, 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 I agree with you. Um, and then I'm curious to have your thoughts on, um, you know, for example, Bottega Veneta that's going the absolute opposite direction and, you know, not doing any social media. Do you, is, is that the smartest social media strategy in the world? Or, you know, what are your thoughts? I'm just kind of curious. Um, I think that uh, we're all, everyone is experimenting. Uh, there is no experience with this strategy from the past deleting social media so it's hard to um what i think let's uh, see in uh, in uh, in maybe a, a year or so i think that it's a very smart strategy for the moment because the product itself is so instagrammable the product is so desirable by the influencers who buy this and everybody in the industry knows that bottega doesn't even gift much or almost nothing yeah um, so because the product is so cool, it's desirable, all the influencers want it. A lot of the girls actually buy so much and, 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 and show it all the time and style it that I think right now playing hard to get and like playing different mm -hmm. is a really cool strategy. Let's see in a year or so, will they come back on Instagram or will they come back on another platform? That's going to be interesting. Okay. Um, and then I know the, the, the social media platform that is getting the most buzz right now is um, Clubhouse as like the new hot thing. What you are great on it, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm, well, I'm curious as to your thinking about the, the long-term validity of something like Clubhouse, which is audio only, you know, it's not a visual space, which is so, of course, perfect for the fashion, fashion world. Do you think it's something that makes sense or is it a flash in the pan? I think that it's so it's so hard to tell because I'm thinking of the platforms that were launched together and similar to Instagram and launched pretty much in the same time with a kind of a similar concept. But look, uh, whereas Instagram and where the other ones, you know, and remember my space and high five and so on. So it's uh, it's hard to it's really so many factors have to work together. I think that 
also one of my friends invested in Clubhouse, so I, I feel bad if he's watching it. <laughs> Negative predictions. I think that it will become uh, a little different. I think it will become a place for a very certain type of content. Right now, it's everything. Mm -hmm. Friends, uh, provocative uh, conversations, business conversations, networking. You can meet amazing people. You can raise your hand and be in a conversation with great people. I think it's going to become different and very targeted. And it will, I think, in a way, if you remember, because I'm, I'm a child of the 90s. And I remember we were often, it was normal to fall asleep with uh, listening to a radio. Yep. Yep. And people were calling, oh, I'm from there, and uh, and what do you like, and how's your private life? Oh, you know, my wife, she's this. So mm -hmm. I think it's kind of, it will kind of be niche for this sort of experience that we all used to love, actually. So retro cool is what you're telling me. Okay. All right. So <laughs> let's go straight into our five, my five generic fashion questions. So the first one is, what is your favorite piece of clothing that you own personally? Um, black bodycon dress in uh, any any shape because uh, in, 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 in any designer um, I love because you can style it for a day can style it for the evening it's just uh, always flattering and easy to wear okay so uh, bodycon dress something that's form-fitting okay lucky you all right um, <laughs> Not everybody has, you know, we're talking about sustainability um, and sometimes, you know, if you buy less, but buy better, uh, not everybody has a lot of money to, to, um, to invest in. But if you were to say, if there was one item of clothing that you should really save up for and buy something, you know, of high quality, uh, save your pennies for, what would that be? Okay. Uh, just uh, if we talk about data, uh, I think I would recommend a Kelly bag. I will say why, just because re compare the price you're buying it for and an immediate uh, price on any e-commerce platform. So it's already an investment. I think it's kind of, that's how, at least that's what I tell myself. That's how you justify your Kellys. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell my husband that, that it's actually great resale value. So why not? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go tell him right after this call. Um, who is your favorite designer, living or dead? Oh, my God. It's it's so hard to say. I think I'll tell you, uh, the uh, Olivier Rostand. Mm -hmm. uh, and not only as a designer, uh, the whole journey and the whole revolutional, it's basically his whole life, his artistic journey and personal journey, to me is such an endless inspiration. And plus, I'm lucky enough to call him a friend. And he was he supported Avec from the start. And I think, yes, as a as a person, as a designer, as um, yeah, for me, yeah, really, he really is who he is. I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've interviewed him a few times. And yeah, yeah, he, he's not plastic. You know, as much as he's had work done, he's not fake at all. We didn't know. It's all natural. <laughs> <laughs> what trend will you never follow? I will never follow. Um, too, too many colors. I just, you know what? I, and only because I'm not talented enough. I admire so much, especially this, this eat, uh, the cool eat girls in Italy who are talented enough to mix all these colors and look fantastic in them. Unfortunately, this is one of the talents that I don't have. I do can't be perfect. <laughs> I, I love color too. For me, it's print. Print is my Achilles heel. I can't do print. Yeah. yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> um, and then my last question for you is what do you love most about fashion? Meeting people, 
inspiring people, people with unique uh, careers, learning, it never gets old, it's crazy. And the most interesting businessmen I work with or I've met, when they meet fashion people, they are all fascinated because it's so interesting to see people with a passion, mm -hmm. with an extraordinary, very often extraordinary journey and, and just uh, exchange that energy, it's really great. Mm. Elisa, thank you so much for taking the time. This has just been an eye-opening conversation and I hope the first of many. Thank you so much and good luck with AVEC. Thank you so, so much, Jessica. And thank you for supporting us. I hope okay. to see you soon and real and give you a hug. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Big kiss. Bye. Bye. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.